Well, I'm super excited to have director Lee uh, Winnell, uh, composer Benjamin Wallfish, Will File, supervising sound editor and re-recording mixer, and PK Hooker, supervising sound editor and sound designer for The Invisible Man. I feel like this is like the reunion when they bring back the cast after like mm -hmm. 10, 20 years. We're all back together. We're gonna look back on what you guys did. Um, it kind of feels like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting year. It's, we made it's the last movie you can see in a movie theater. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's been an interesting twenty years since we finished making this film. <laughs> so, Lee, I'd love to start off with you. You know, I read a little bit about the backstory. This was a project that was in a long kind of gestational period with Universal. They wanted to do it. it got, kind of got shelved. What, what, when it arrived to you, like, or how did it? come to actually being a real project and a real film? How did you get it off the ground? I had just finished making another film with Will and PK called Upgrade. And uh, Universal, who was um, the distributor for Blumhouse Films that made Upgrade, they called me in for a meeting. And I was sure that they were calling me in to tell me how great Upgrade was and by extension of that, how great I was. And so, <laughs> Being an insecure writer, I ran to that meeting and uh, I was sitting there on the couch. They probably spent about 15, maybe 20 seconds talking about Upgrade um, and then moved on. And um, I'm sitting there sort of staring at these uh, universal executives and out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere, they said, uh, so what do you think about The Invisible Man? Uh, it was would be the same as if I said, like, what do you think about Caesar salads? Right. <laughs> like it was just, and I had never, I got to admit, I haven't put much thought into the character of the invisible man ever. Obviously I know of this character, but um, when they asked me that, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. It was interesting character. I was just making conversation. And uh, one of the people at the meeting said, you know, these movies, these horror movies based on these old characters, they're hard to write because if the invisible man's the good guy, then who's the bad guy? You know, what scares the invisible man? And all I said was, well, he's not, he's not the good guy. You know, he, he's the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And just from saying that, all of a sudden the phone, you know, phone calls were going back and forth and I was making the movie. So it wasn't really like I sorted out. It was like an accidental movie that just sort of came into existence. When was that? What, what, what month, what year, do you remember? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it would have been right after, when did Upgrade come out? 2018. So it would have been sometime in summer of, in the summer of 2018. So, uh, I mean, how early on did you start reaching out to your team, to, to Ben? What, when did you first make initial contact with everyone to get them on board when things were ramping up? Um, it was, well, f I mean, uh, at first I thought, well, I'm just going to write this movie. And I was, I was certain that I wasn't going to do a good job. <laughs> I always hedged my bets. I'm always like, well, I'll see how the script turns out. And if it's not terrible, then. So I think it was when it became more real. Um, I had had a really great experience with Will and, and PK on Upgrade and had a lot of fun with them. So as soon as the crew aspect of it became real and the ship was leaving port, I was like, I want to book these guys. And uh, you know they're 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 not easy to book. They're <laughs> they're they're very busy. So I wanted to make sure that we got in there. And um, and then Ben, I met much later in the post production um, once we'd finished the movie. Yeah, Ben, for you, what was your initial reaction when Lee reached out to you, told you what the project was? Where did your mind go? What was your knowledge of Lee's work or just this this film title? Well, I was just 
just really fascinated by the script and and this complete reinvention of something uh, not in a kind of you know a remake but just a just a total rethink and and i love lee's work and I, I upgrade especially just just how much humor there there is but also the 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 style of the camera work all the 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 the, the precision the the tightness of the editing the rhythm uh i all of those things just massively appealed to me and so yeah so when i got, got the call i was just just super excited to meet lee and just just have a chat with him and and uh and it kind of went from there really that's awesome so uh for will and pk what you know when you get a, a director who you you know have a history with a shorthand where do you usually like to start the conversation in terms of spotting a script or going through moments? I mean, how much of how many sound moments were already kind of ingrained in the script, or did you guys feel like you had to kind of figure it out as you went along? A ton. I mean, you know, whenever you get a call to work on a movie called The Invisible Man, you're already pretty excited <laughs> person because obviously <laughs> there's gonna be lots of opportunities there. But then when Lee's directing it, then you know it's gonna be even better. But when we read the script, I think we both got super excited. But really, the moment that crystallized for me was when we went to watch Lee's director's cut uh, in this tiny little cutting room at Blumhouse with, uh, with us and Lee and Andy, the editor. And we're all just stuffed in this little room eating like tuna salad sandwiches and watching the movie. And I remember <laughs> and I just kind of like kept elbowing each other like, this is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's totally true. I was like floating above my seat. Yeah. Um, and you know there isn't there isn't really a boilerplate answer uh, for this one either because of Lee and because he really is sound centered. You know, Upgrade taught me something about his filmmaking, which was that you know he really he really leans into the sound to sell a lot of the ideas that he puts forward. And I think in Upgrade it was it was largely you know parts of it were budgetary because it's like you want to make the sci-fi movie and you can't show you know as much as you'd like to, so you have to hear it. You know, so there was like this huge amount of work that went into sort of world building. Um, and then in Invisible Man, it was like that because the, the, the titular character is just not on the call sheet for most of the movie, right. but he's in every, almost every part of it. So you have to do this like, you know, so it's just a feast. It's, it's intimidating. I, mean, I was excited in that meeting, but I was also like, oh my gosh, like this is a lot. This yeah. is a lot of responsibility, you know, like, yeah. holy cow. I'd love to just start with the, the opening of the film because I feel like we don't really know what, who good or bad or context of, you know, what's going to happen. But I can tell you that the sound of the ocean sure sounds like the enemy of what you guys are trying to instill in Ben's score. I'd love to kind of break down this opening scene.
Lee, what was your intention, do you think, early on with kind of establishing the, the soundscape of this world? Um, I think I wanted to use a lot of silence. Like with the camera work in the film, we filmed a lot of empty spaces. And not so much, sorry, not silence, that's the wrong word, but like it's the absence of sound effects and music and too much, you know. Um, I, I remember um, uh, Will uh, was, wait, now here's a question, because <laughs> I've got to remember correctly who this quote came from. Who worked with the Coen Brothers sound designer? Skip Leave Say. Was that yeah. PK, UPK or Will? Yeah, I, I am. So it was you must have told, I remember asking you about like when we were doing Upgrade, I said, why does that scene in No Country for Old Men when Josh Brolin finds those bodies in the middle of the desert, you know, what, what is, why does that sound better than every other scene that's ever been done, you know? And you said, um, talking about Skip Leave Say and how he, his approach is that it's the absence of sound, like just... Things sound better when there's less stuff, and you know, and that that really stuck with me. And so I guess um, I wanted to take that approach with this and make something where the sound of the film really got through to people. It wasn't background noise. It wasn't this oral wallpaper to comfort people. But it was like if it was just a little bit off, and you made people concentrate on one thing. So like the waves, and you know, we weren't going to layer it up with you know a hundred different sound effects that would just create this wall of noise, it was more going to be like, no, we're going to do one thing at a time. And so that was really the approach, I think. And I just see myself as an instigator with these guys, like, because they're so good at what they do and I don't know how to do what they can do. When I look at that desk behind Will, I mean, if, if you'd locked <laughs> that desk, you would come in a day later and I'd be, like, wearing it as a hat. Like, I don't know. I don't know how those buttons work. So there's an, there is a respect there, like, these guys are these guys are artists and they're and they know something that I don't. So I see my job is to like throw matches in there. I'm like, what what if we did this? And either they'll say like, that's stupid, which their version of saying that's stupid is like, mm, I don't know, I don't know. But because <laughs> um, they're so nice, you know, um, um, they should probably just say that's stupid. But then, but then sometimes. I throw a little match and they're like, that's interesting. And then I just like trying things. So that was really the approach was like, let's try to do something where the sound is a force to be reckoned with. You know, it's not a, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, literally on the first day of the mix, Lee kind of gave us like a speech, which was basically like, <laughs> let's not make a normal sounding movie. Like yeah. every chance we have, let's, let's make the bold choice. And that really guided our, our whole approach to the film. Yeah, I love uh, Ben. Your first cue, I think, is Cobalt. When I'm listening to it, it's just like, just slow strings, just patiently, just you know, taunting the audience. Can right. you talk <laughs> about your your approach when establishing, you know, a film and and starting off with your first cue, especially with this one? There's time, and in this case, there, there kind of wasn't time, but I did it anyway. Just to write a suite, I, I was, I had the same experience as, as PJ, just watching 
and and we we're just watching it in this little editing room for you know, <laughs> I think it was the morning and i i was just so knocked sideways i felt kind of speechless and just went to my studio that afternoon and just wrote wrote a suite and uh called up lee i think a couple of days later and just played it to him and the first thing he did was lay up parts of the movie um and actually the very end of the film when elizabeth moss walks towards the camera is directly from that that suite which which i wrote completely away from picture just as a kind of like a a jam session almost <laughs> to kind of get inside my sort of gut reaction to the to the story and the i mean i think the 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 absolute blinding force of elizabeth moss's performance and just the, the emotional power just in her eyes yeah. every musical decision was really guided by her performance including when it's not her as the main like if the cue is about the invisible man and what i loved so much about the process was just lee kept he gave me so much freedom but it, it was this gentle nudging into those areas of extremes and exactly mm -hmm. as you were saying earlier was just like if you can make the bold choice do it but then really go way beyond what you would normally do mm -hmm. yeah. and it was just like the best environment creatively to work in and, and what was fascinating too was because it, we, we had to do it pretty quickly um i brought all these stems to the dovetail and then it was like this incredible process of seeing lee kind of craft the each cue in a really bespoke like such a detailed way and like for example in the opening the very like the wave sequence there was originally this quite sort of complex orchestral thing with the, and in the end it's literally just this is this one sound <laughs> and i just thought that is so brilliant because it kind of summarizes the entire aesthetic of, of the score which is come on ben now's your chance to be like i wrote this amazing piece <laughs> in the garbage. No, no, I, I, yeah this is not some weird passive aggressive like uh, <laughs> oh, <Lee. laughs> uh but it but no it's, it's it's kind of crazy because what i learned from that uh in, t in terms of it was like a collaborative thing of like how do we score and something you can't see you know you have a character theme and it was like this idea of like musically weaponizing silence or the silence in the way that you just don't trust the score so that each gesture is so off the wall sometimes when it's not orchestra um that that gap you go what's what's going to hit us next time and <laughs> so that the silence between the gestures almost becomes rhythmic and musical and it was that was it was a really fun way of treating it's very different sort of style of, of, of approaching a score. Yeah, I've never been more scared of a girlfriend trying to leave her boyfriend's <laughs> house. It was, uh, <laughs> Will, when you think about the ambiences, interiors and exteriors, there's a big contrast. Like we feel like, oh, you're outside, you're safe now. But in this film, like outside doesn't really mean that you're safe. But, uh, you know, dogs barking, the ambiences that you guys are crafting the world that she's, that she's kind of coexisting in.
what did you guys find was like the right balance for the interiors versus exteriors of, of this world? Well, really the, the thing that drove almost every decision as far as the mix, but even in terms of the design was the film is largely made from her point of view. Um, especially if you look at that whole opening sequence, the audience is basically hearing it through her head um, in some way or another. So that has this effect of really putting you with her emotionally, like immediately. You're basically, you are her, at least audibly. Um, and so most of the decisions we made were about that. And there was an interesting thing in that in the whole opening with the waves, we were playing around with, is it, is it a big wave crash that gets her to look at him or is it the absence of waves that gets her to look at him? <clears throat> like what's, what's more scary? Um, her trying to do something sneaky and suddenly the waves get quiet and then she's exposed. Um, and, and, or, you know, cause earlier we were trying to play it like, you know, she would be sneaking when things got loud and we realized that like, Oh, let's actually take the waves away here. And yeah. now it's sort of like naked exposure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it suddenly became, you became much more concerned about her. So mm -hmm. yeah. played around a lot with things like that. There's, there's even, I mean, there's some things that we did that if you sort of think about them from a technical point of view, they're kind of insane. But like <laughs> when, she, when she makes her way down the hill um, and the music, it, we played a lot with big contrast. Um, you know, the music goes from very quiet and very simple to very big and very loud. And then again to very quiet again. And then, so, you know, when she gets to the bottom of the hill, the music's been big, big, big. She gets to the bottom of the hill, it's very quiet. And there's some weird sounding crickets. And then she turns around and they go away. And you don't hopefully think about it as an audience member, but it, you feel suddenly that she's very alone. But is she alone? Like, all you hear is the creaking of the trees. Yeah. And the crickets have, have gone away. And it's like, did they go away because there's someone there? Mm. Did they go away just because <laughs> her focus has changed? And it really doesn't matter because of the effect it has emotionally is that you are more concerned about her. Mm. You know, right? so, so that's the kind of stuff yeah. we, we tried to always think about, you know, where is she at in her head? That's great. Lee, well, what did you recognize in terms of from, obviously, you know, every frame, you know exactly how the cut was going to come together. But then when you got to the sound stage and you started to kind of evolve this, what Ben was bringing, what what Will and PK are bringing, I mean, did you treat it as, as always like a rolling edit? Like how did sound inform picture changes or, or just the flow of what you wanted to kind of go with? Um, well, it, it didn't so much inform picture changes, but the sound stage is where the film really comes alive for me. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the sound mix is really my favorite part of making a film for many reasons. Um, one is that I went to a film school that just happened to be very sound centric. I think it might be the only film school in the world <laughs> that it was run by a guy, Philip Brophy. Um, I don't think he teaches there anymore, but he, his main interest was sound in film. And, and in fact, when I was studying there, he was running the world's only conference on sound in film. And I'd only went for a few years. It was called Cinesonic, and he would fly in like Randy Tom and all these different people, and they would give these lectures. It was like this. It was like South by Southwest for sound designers, um, and it was so. I kind of it was drilled into me um, that sound was a true art in and of itself. It wasn't an afterthought, and so already I was on that track. And then I think 
Another thing is that there's no pressure when you're in the sound booth, you can make, when you're in the sound on the mixing stage, you can make creative decisions that aren't expensive. Like if you're on a film set and you say, oh, you know what would be cool? If we did this one tracking shot that goes through the whole room, all of a sudden it's costing money. You can just hear money burning because we've got to get the steady cams, we've got to get the lights. What I love about sound is that you can make bold decisions without, you can do it right then and there. And, it, and it's, it's just so freeing if you're creative. And I, I feel like a lot of movies that I love where I remember the sound, you know, um, they're just little creative decisions. They're not it, like I'm off the top of my head, like the scene in the social network when they're talking in the nightclub Sure. Yeah. and they've mixed the sound of the nightclub above the dialogue. So the actors are shouting and it's mixed the way, you know, we, we're used to every movie mixing the nightclub down so that you can hear the dialogue. And I thought it was fascinating that David Fincher and Ren Kleiss were like, no, let's not do that. Let's let's mix the scene the way it actually sounds when you're in a nightclub. And just because of that one little decision they made, I remember that scene for the sound. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about it. And and I love making those decisions and being like, why wouldn't we mix the music up, you know? And then the last final thing is just working with PK and Will. Like, you know, it's they're so fun. Like, you know, you get to sit in this big movie theater, it's in a movie studio, like just walking from the front gate to the stage is like crazy for me because I'm like, look, there's where they shot Ghostbusters. And then all of a sudden I'm in this big movie theater and and I like just hanging out with these guys, these sort of, I get to be the member of this club of these really talented people. So there's just so many reasons for me why the film really comes alive on the mixing stage. It's not so much that it changes but my perception of it changes. I sort of start thinking like, oh, this is going to be terrible into like, this is going to be great. You know, that, that, that change from this is going to be terrible to great happens on the mixing stage doing the same. That's awesome. Um, PK, I'd love to understand a little bit about um, your process of figuring out what stuff is library and new recordings, where, how you guys spot a film. And especially when we, you know, when the character has left, She's left, she's gone out, she's now in a residential home and she now steps out at nighttime and she's listening to the sounds and there's like this whole bed, the whole bedroom scene of how it like plays out. You know, from a narrative point of view, I think that 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 sort of allows the film to sort of skip over the the establishing the Invisible Man as a total bastard. Like her fear, just you're you're in her fear with her, and that says everything you need to know about that character. And I think that was kind of the grounding idea of 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 what that scene was about. You know, that was basically like this is the establishing scene for her, but also just as much for him. You know, it's like those two share the establishing moment of their characters in that, in that opening sequence. Um, 
And, you know, as far as spotting everything, Lee, Lee is, Lee is, is, uh, he is really excited about Sam and he's in a very creative place in his head and he's really good at bringing you into that space. Um, uh, so, you know, as you, as, as you enter a creative process and the two movies that I've entered a creative process with him, like, it's just, it's sort of, I'm not going to say easy, but there's so much clarity in what we're trying to do uh, and where we're trying to get to, because I just feel like I'm, I'm inside of, of the bigger idea of the movie right away. Like I'm not being asked to add things and, and stuff. It's more just about like, this is what we're all together trying to accomplish. So like the process is just, it, it makes it so easy to, to have that kind of clarity because basically it just frees you up to just be creative. You don't have to think about, there's so much I don't have to think about um, on a movie like this because you're just, you're, you're there, you know, side by side, shoulder to shoulder. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with the creative process and it's just so like it's so freeing because that's that's often a fight you know yeah. on, on movies because people don't necessarily know how to communicate that or they don't necessarily trust you at first or they don't see the value in, in including you in that conversation and like and this movie is not like that talk about <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. crazy to me that i can't imagine that I can't imagine not being like all right you know Film sets are where people lose their temper because it's like, we've got two hours until we lose the light and then everyone starts losing their mind. Whereas to me, a soundstage is like a warm bath. It's like, <laughs> we're here. <laughs> ben, for you, you know, how much time did you have in terms of when you were first, I mean, in terms of your process, when you see Final Picture, mm -hmm. you maybe have connected with Will and PK and Lee or like had a general understanding of where your moments might be. But, you know, yeah, what's your next step? Well, it, Lee and I just sat down and went through the movie and, and really just started talking about emotion. And I loved the fact that we, we were, it was kind of two, two main parts of the score. The score is almost quite schizophrenic because there's, 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 there's Cecilia's music, which is orchestral. And the, the whole thing for me when I saw the movie is it just felt like a Hitchcock movie. And I, mm. one of my favorite scores uh, of all time is Psycho, not because of the shower scene, but kind of because of everything else and the fact that Bernard Herrmann deliberately chose to only use string orchestra, uh, which is the kind of musical equivalent of black, of the black and white choice that was made visually. And I thought, I've just always wanted to see if I could do that, to, to use only strings and not use the full brass wind and the whole thing. There's piano too, um, but it was this kind of, um, this idea that Cecilia as a character, you know, she's someone searching for her former self and it's like how far can she go before she, you know, is, how far is she pushed before she's she's gonna forget that, like who she's trying to get back to. And so her theme, which is this cello theme, it is deliberately, it's very slow and the harmonies are very unexpected, but that always leads into this piano motif, which is the opposite. It's very insistent and quite rhythmic and it's, and it's asymmetrical. So every time it repeats, um, the chords underneath it slightly shift where which notes get hit. And so, Again, it's that slight sort of disorientation, but it's funny because I talk about it now and it's all very intellectual. <laughs> when when I was writing it, it was just what felt right. And again, it was the the intensity of the filmmaking and 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 the clarity of Lee's and exactly what PJ was saying. It gives you so much freedom when there's that level of absolute clarity. And and basically, the first step was to come up with with all that more emotional thematic music, and then literally close that book and then create something of the other end of the spectrum 
for the Invisible Man, which is the most aggressive, off the wall, crazy shit I think I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was listening to the track He's Gone and I definitely hear that theme that comes up and it's really haunting. Like all you guys keep saying is being patient, being quiet. And sometimes the lack of anything is just like, what's going on? Like when is the mo when is it gonna get like, this is a movie, like we're supposed to hear stuff, it's supposed to be lively. And you guys went the other direction, which I think just continues to terrify, ter terrified me as an audience member. I was just like, why is this so quiet always? Like if it's quiet, <laughs> something and bad's gonna happen there was moments with the with the sound effects where we wanted the audience to almost not be able to tell if they heard something or not mm. <laughs> like we we had these sounds that we made for the invisible man which we made uh using a, a piece of software called sound particles which is basically like a uh, it uses sort of a, a particle system like a visual effects like to simulate fire or you know water things like that but instead of making pictures you're using it to make sounds so we could feed in like lots of camera clicks and servo whirs and things like that, and then multiply that times a thousand and have it all be randomized. And, and, and it creates these interesting sonic textures that we were able to use for the sounds of the suit, which is made up of these you know, hundreds or thousands of cameras. Um, and then you know, what we found is that if we sort of fed it the right ingredients and tweaked it the right way, not only did it sort of sound like cameras, but it almost sounded like an insect or like, mm -hmm you know, something kind of alive but dangerous. Um, and then we would pepper those in at little moments when she she looks around and she thinks maybe she's seeing something or hearing something. And we mm. put like just a little, just the taste of it, just enough for the audience to think, did I hear that or not? Yeah. You know, yeah. and then PK came up with this awesome idea to, because we, we were working on the sound of what's it sound like when the Invisible Man is speaking through his too. We wanted it to be modulated in some way to sort of reflect this sort of, you know, mesh, you know, character of the suit um, and the high tech character of the suit. And so PK had been experimenting with that. And then he had the idea, what if I fed sounds through that processing? And so what would we'd play it almost as if she was hearing, you know, as the camera turns around and it's, you know, you're, you're her eyes, the, the camera is her eyes and she's turning around through the room and she settles on where the invisible man may or may not be, uh, which is sort of near this window where there's the cricket coming from. And as the camera spins around, it suggests that maybe there's something between that sound and the camera that's maybe is making it sound a little strange. So we played around with a lot of those ideas where we actually didn't want to be super overt with it. Yeah. But there's a lot of work went into making those little moments <laughs> because yeah. we yeah. want it to be super subtle. What is that like yeah. for you, Lee? When I mean, you know, I would say this isn't necessarily like you don't have an insane budget. This is not like an over, I forget what the total budget was, but it's not like you have all the resources at your disposal. So you have to be creative with where you put your time and energy. And I think a lot of emotion and a lot of things we can convey through sound, which I, I think, mm -hmm. you know, you're alluding to, uh, Will. Um, mm -hmm. You know, how how important was it to to really nail the sound of the invisible man? So that you can sell. I mean, the visual effects were awesome in terms of what he looks like, but I'd be curious of just getting to the post-production phase and recognizing that, like, oh, the sound really does sell this technology. Well, yeah, I mean, it does. I, I would, I would, I would say sound obviously is a crucial part of any film, but um, I, th this character in particular, the fact that you can't see him, or um, as Will said, or. or you're automatically relying on something other than your eyes. So the sound becomes very important. But 
I would say that, you know, uh, sound is something in a horror movie that is, it's just, it's crucial. It, it, it really makes the basis of a horror movie if, 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 you know, if, you know, explosions or kinetic energy is the basis of an action movie and timing and dialogue is the basis of a comedy, like to me, sound and music, that's, that's the base of a horror film. I think audiences have been coached into the familiarity of a lot of horror films. There's a lot of little rules you can break. Like, I don't like the whole, like, scary music happens before we see something right. scary. Like, I don't want to tell the audience or telegraph to the audience that something scary is about to happen. I, I just like, you know, having fun and messing around with these little rules. They're kind of unwritten rules of the horror genre. Mm. That I, I just, you know, when I watch horror movies, I see people sometimes relying on the same tropes. Right. I'm like, all right, you know, if we're going to get in the room, then I want Will and PK and Ben and I to, like, break some rules. Right. That's, that's, you know, I, I really, um, that's what's fun about it, is not doing the expected thing. Yeah. The, the trick the, is almost to not even think of it as a horror film. That That's always been my mantra doing i mean like the it movies yeah. they were adventure films and and for this this is just uh the an extraordinary like psychological thriller like you know examining a, a a woman's journey through something unimaginable and the 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 feeling of the jumps and the horror is is kind of totally secondary to that like you imagine yourself in that position and that's almost the, the most terrifying thing you can you can think of and mm. so yeah it's just like forget the idea of, of any horror tropes and <laughs> the single sustain and then the big slap in the face none of that yeah yeah yeah, well, yeah exactly you know you guys the first time the reveal is you know with her in the addict and we kind of are convinced that you know there's something bigger at hand or something going on here um but the idea you know the idea of the cell phone in the attic to me was just scary enough when like spatially you're like wait, where is this? And I think it really put the audience in the perspective of trying to like really lean into the sound once again. I'd love for you guys to set up that, that kitchen sink attack because I saw the behind the scenes. I saw the, you know, the guy in the suit. I saw what happened on the day of when you guys shot that with, with Elizabeth, like really involved, very visceral. But I mean, how much of production do you actually carry over? And, and what did you, I mean, because like that's when like things kick in and score. I believe there's a pretty big cue that kicks in too. It gets pretty heightened. So maybe break down that scene of how that evolved for you guys. Um, well, that was kind of, that was actually the first time 
uh, in the movie where it actually, we get into the full power, like the invisible man comes into his full power. Um, so there was a lot of, there's a lot of very designy kinds of suit sounds in that moment that uh, were really a lot bigger um, than the first time, the first moments of hearing him in any way. And it's also like the first time that we're, you know, um, it's in that, in that, not just that scene, but the scene preceding it too. It's like the first time where we're actually confirmed, like it's, she's not going crazy. Like this is real. This is happening. That's the first like monster movie kind of moment. Uh, that's kind of how I approached it. Like this is the first time in the movie where mm. the invisible man, the monster, the classic monster kind of arrives in this distorted, weird, fucked up version right. me, of, of this movie, you know, like yeah. this really like screwed up, like distorted Lee Winnell version of this classic monster. <laughs> and this is what, this is what that's going to be. This is as close to that as we're going to get. And, and um, then I'll say for Ben, your cue, I think it's the, the attack cue is like, what is the sound that you're, you're, you're giving these guys? It's like a distorted, like just mayhem, but it's musical. It's like, what, what were you doing there? That's a combination of two things. It's, um, it's, it's basically an electric guitar plus a double bass, but both have been put through this, this crazy parallel compression. And so they basically implode on themselves and they, they oppose and it creates this absolute, like this, it shouldn't exist as a sound. And that sound was then yeah. put through <laughs> Even. crazy inserts and saturation and, yeah, it, it was just, it was the, the first time where, okay, if we're going to do this, we have to really hit the mark. And, and and part of it too is also the contrast because up to that point, the score has actually been very classical and, mm -hmm. and very transparent and orchestral and quiet and piano. And so the last thing you expect is this just volcanic electronic thing just uh, that's sort of ruthless the way it was mixed too it's right in front of your face and then and then every single uh move which which you, you're you know you see the, the music is slightly off it's like the opposite of an action thing where you're hitting every frame like everything was just not quite right because you, you you're sort of questioning reality and those and things were reversed and reverbs were cut short and and little gaps and stutters and it's just everything one can throw at it uh, was thrown <laughs> so for will I mean, you know when you get a cue like this like where do you go with it because already it's like the needle must be already just like slamming but it still it still serves the the emotion of that scene the intensity 
Yeah, well, I mean, like Ben just mentioned, it, we, we spent so much time trying to find contrast in the mix. Um, you know, we really wanted it to, to be like a Pixie song or a Nirvana song where, you know, <laughs> the verse would be kind of chill and then the chorus just hits hard. Um, and so we, we played with that a lot. And, and sometimes that's done with volume and sometimes that's done spectrally with, you know, uh, leaning on different frequencies in different ways. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's about taking things away right before you want something to get big again. Um, you know, and, and all the scenes with where where Lee had the Invisible Man on set in a green screen uh, and then they had to paint him out. That was all done with these crazy motion capture or, or these motion control cameras yeah, right. which make all this damn noise. So the first thing we had to do is delete all the production sound <laughs> or salvage what tiny little pieces we could. Um, and, and you start, you know, building it up from scratch. But the cool thing about that, you know, at that point, you're basically, it's almost like an animated movie where you have control over every single element. So we were able to really uh, have total control over what we wanted to hear from moment to moment. Yeah. So a mm. lot of times it was almost like levers, you know, like, okay, big music. Okay, now playing <laughs> sound effects. And okay, now big music again, you know, and it's like, or, or take it all out, you know, and then everything goes back in, you know. It was a lot of big... <laughs> big moves like that um which was super fun and ben and i had a ton of fun uh with with putting the the music into atmos and really using the room in some wild ways because he had already done so much cool stuff with panning uh you know almost emotional panning if you want to call it that um you know, things that made it feel sort of off kilter and like things are swimming around her head um, but then we took that even farther with, you know, swinging things through the ceiling and, you know, the back of the room. And um, as much as it's tempting to think of that stuff as being kind of gimmicky, it actually it does have an emotional impact on yeah. the audience. Um, and we were we were really happy to hear that even when it folded down to like five one, all the effort that we went into to make it feel like that still translated, maybe, you know, on a lower resolution way, still has that sense of. Not only being around you, but kind of moving through you, and 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 you know, again, contrast. Trying to find how do we add more movement? How do we, um, you know, make things change over time as much as possible? That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that's we spent a lot of time on that in yeah. the mix, and we actually it was really fun because Ben actually was in the mix with us for a lot of the mix, which right. which so rarely happens with composers. Mm -hmm. uh, so really, the the four of us got to kind of like you know experiment all yeah. day yeah, yeah it was, move, you know it was, really it was the best time though because it was because actually having having that power that you had in atmos uh, and actually just seeing how you guys this integration of this music and the sound design was it, it, really from the ground up it was I, I loved just being in the room watching you guys do that it was something else i love uh, whenever we can make a movie where you really can't put your finger on where the sound of design ends and where the mm -hmm. music starts mm -hmm. That's the, I really love that approach. Lee, for you, is it is it hard to be patient? You know, to not put all the faders up, or I mean, yeah, obviously you established, like you said, you you went for the dynamics, went for the quiet. But when you do have these big moments, I you know, from your experience of just what you can do with camera and what you can do with your sound, like, yeah, when do you choose to go with that? Um, you know, I mean, it's you let the movie tell you what it wants to be. Um, I. I'm not really interested in like, you know, let's go loud or big. It's more like, let's select, you know, where, what's the, where is the heartbeat of this movie at right at this point? 
And uh, I try to just, you know, also I want it to be a conversation. You know, I'm not really telling these guys what to do. We're all having a conversation about where we think the movie's at and everybody's opinion counts. So um, I certainly, just as a viewer, I don't really like movies that have like super migraine inducing, (laughs) bang, 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 if there's no range and it's just like a sledgehammer the whole time, I'm like, I'm not into that. So I, I do like that sort of like journey that, that sound can go on, yeah. Uh, I can tell you that the restaurant scene <laughs> to me was just like, oh, we're just having a nice dinner. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be fine. And then the second, you know, camera cuts, yeah. and you're just like, what the f- just happened? <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. You should have seen it at the premiere, the Chinese. Yeah. Like 800 people happening at the same time. It was so good. That was great. It was silent. I mean, that speaks to, you know, the sort of anti-horror or anti-trope, you know, kind of approach. I mean, it wasn't that, you know, specific where we were trying to be anti, but like that moment is like nothing changes in the mix. Nothing changes in the whole mix when that happens. And the music's big, like it is in a big fancy, you know, uh, restaurant. And uh, they're just having a conversation and then whoop, that happens. And then nothing changes. There's no, there's nothing in the music. There's nothing in the sound design. It just, just happens. And then we're just sitting there. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and the sound. What the fuck am I? What am I like? What am I going to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? Well, it's and crazy. It's, and then, yeah. It's, and then as she's processing what just happened, that's a, that's when the 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 sound starts to change. Mm. And, and right. I, I was such a good point, PK. Like the fact that we, you know, we didn't sting it or anything. Mm. It just there's a slice, and then it goes hits her hand, and that's it. And then this, and this thing's still playing, and the woman looks over at her and screams. And that's when she sort of starts really processing what's happening. Right. And then the blood drains from her face. And as that happens, the sound drains from the scene. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. that's, a, that's a scene that's a great example of uh, the, all the sound that happens between that and her getting to the, to the mental hospital. That is a crazy mashup mm-hmm. of stuff Ben made and PK made. Mm-hmm. Right? It's all just swirling together. It's this big and snacky music. too. Got music in it. Mm-hmm. Snacky. Yeah. Snacky. Yeah. He 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 was incredible in that scene. Actually, what yeah, our music mean? editor Snacky is a real uh, is a real <laughs> gifted music editor. He's an unbelievable artist, Snacky. Yeah, yeah. amazing guy. Uh, I mean, he's a, you know, like a lot of the best music editors, he's he's a musician in his own right. Right. And um, he he was able to to come up with some really cool stuff. Some yeah. really interesting solutions for you know we throw we throw these crazy grenades at him like hey you know can what if the music did this or that and the other thing and you could see yeah. him you know Ben with your cue with the uh, I think it's the asylum one you know it, it feels like it, it feels like uh, the shining or something like it's just like there's something wrong with the the time the place just the environment. Right. How does that play into your thought process when you're establishing tone or feeding people information through your music of you know what you want them to feel i guess it's kind of about not telling uh, like telling people what to feel it's like creating an environment uh for them to sort of experience something heightened and in the case of asylum it was actually very interesting 
because that was originally written for that restaurant scene for the oh, wow. for the uh that slowly evolving sense of horror and panic and 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 what was interesting is when we put it up on the stage it it it, it took over too much it was too it was just too all about the music and and that was a great example of when someone like snacky and, and it was this kind of lab of people come together and figure out what can we use from it and and to to and it i i, I love that kind of style of working where you you, you don't necessarily expect well and, and, and in the end that cue just ended up in the end in the end roller which is actually a much better place for it because it was like for the few people who have who are staying to to watch that music it it's a very cathartic cue it's actually designed to i was just trying to get inside the idea of, of cecilia's mind at that point where it just starts with one single line and then out of that like other lines fall and as they fall they start to cascade and it creates this like 15 mm -hmm. part polyphony which is so complex because she doesn't know what what to think at any mm -hmm. one time and then that kind of ends up on one note but much lower um and it you know mm -hmm. it's, it's just a, it happens sometimes in filmmaking where you you have this you know we, we recorded it and it was to be, and then sometimes you just gotta at that moment on the dub stage go actually let's try something mm -hmm. else and 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 that's always a very fascinating moment um because then because you have the benefit of all that has come before it you know in the final version to inform mm -hmm. those choices you know ben mentioned earlier that he just went like wrote this suite of stuff just based on one viewing of the movie. And I love that um, we ended up, you know, I, as soon as I heard that main piece, I was like, that's it. And I, I love, I'm a big fan of like going with the first idea. Like oftentimes the first idea is connected to emotion and to your gut. And like, I don't necessarily think you should always go around the block looking for a better idea. As soon as I heard that track, I was like, that's it. That's going to be the end of the film. Mm. And I love it. I, I really love that track still just listening to that piece as a standalone track gives me chills you know it's just such a great piece of music and I think one of the great film related experiences of my life was going to Air Studios in London um I seem to remember uh back in January <laughs> it was I can't remember it exactly but I think you would leave the house and you would go to a place where you would get in a metal tube that would go through the sky and take you <laughs> I, I don't remember it exactly, but I have a memory of getting off the tube and I was in London. Anyway, um, and, uh, so, and so I went to Air Studios and got to see these great players being conducted by Ben and it was just, you know, I've never really uh, had a, an orchestra on that scale in a movie before, you know, um, and so that was really a great moment and I... I, I love Ben's score at the end there. It, it was everything I was hoping for and more. It was better than I could have hoped for. Yeah, the, the ending of a film, especially in this one, you know, what the director, what the script is going to present, is it real? Is it what we think it is going to be? Do we foresee how it's going to, how this, you know, there is no happy ending in a film like this. It, I mean, it might feel like there could be a happy ending, like, yay, she didn't die, but really, right. you know, who, who is the protagonist in, in this case, which is, I love, I mean, this whole film is so many contradictions in a good way of what, mm. what we think we know as an audience. Is the audience really smarter than the director or the sound team or, or the composer? In this case, I don't think so. I think you guys yeah. kind of pulled a quick one over everyone. Well, I think it's important to give the audience and to give her a win at mm -hmm. the end. 
And I think the music was really crucial to, to do that. You know, that the piece that Ben wrote, it actually, I remember we were doing a temp mix on the movie and, and Lee ran in and he goes, guys, the composer just sent me this amazing cue. We've got to put it in the movie. <laughs> put it up. It was just, you know, whatever mock-up Ben had, he had just made it and, and you know, been bounced out and Lee had it on his phone. And so we put it quickly in the movie. And it was one of those things, like, as soon as we put it in, we we're like, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. And, um, and it, and it really, it finally, I think it gave that moment what it, what it needed and what it deserved, which was, it was like, she actually finally got a win because she spends the whole day losing, right? Yeah. And so emotionally, you you really you it's very cathartic when when that moment happens. That's mm. great. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, guys. <laughs> you nailed it. I just wanted I just wanted that. It's, well, the, first, it's the it's the it's the one you know it's time the noble time that ev that everyone leans in and says thank you to the composer for not completely bashing our soundtrack for for <laughs> covering it, but. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I've got to give more credit to to Elizabeth Marstrakner. What was so so weird is I remember when I saw that before there was any music. Just I have no idea how she manages to say so much with with just looking at into camera, and the speed at which she walks, the rhythm, and the and and the way that the the light changes as she moves towards camera, and then she just looks, and then there's this sort of she doesn't even smile, just something in her eyes change, and I just remember. It, it just went into my brain somewhere and that piano thing just sort of came out and then the strings and then within a, about an hour there was this thing and, and it was lee who said put that in the end it wasn't written for the end it was just kind of like a thing which and and, and it was just, i remember i remember i said to you ben like oh can the strings do what the piano is doing that's right and, yeah and, uh, you tried it on and i was just like ah that's so good <laughs> <laughs> the, the great moments that's why you know being a composer it's 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 you treasure those moments where that that level of collaboration happens and you know where it, it's a, it's just about finding you know because it, it is from your gut you know it's, it's those initial instincts and and then everyone just sort of like clues in and and yeah it's very special it's, it's mm. that's awesome i feel like sometimes when we have not resources but just we we don't have so many outs or easy ways to kind of navigate through something that we we think is always like this is the the tried and proven way of like you said lee about this is the expectation for a horror film i feel like going the complete opposite way gives people an interesting perspective on this genre because like i said before we started recording i am the hot one to watch i think the last one i watched was like blair witch like you know 20 years ago like these films these films sonically um horror films are the most interesting i think when it comes to sound and i, I think you guys did a wonderful job i was really excited to have everyone here tonight so thank you guys so much i really appreciate your time super grateful and uh lee any anyone else you want to acknowledge that was part of this crew um well no i mean i just want to say thanks to these guys i, mean, I everyone like um you know will and pk and, and and ben you know it sound for me is fun in and of itself but it's 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 a lot of the reason i enjoy it i think is because i've worked with them we've done you know, Will and PK and I have done two films together now and we're just very like-minded people. Like I have a lot of fun with them, you know, beyond, I think that they're so amazingly talented, but it's this huge bonus that I have so much fun hanging out with them. Um, you know, most of the day is spent deciding what's for lunch. 
And I love that. <laughs> <laughs> or what to drink, imagine too, right? Exactly. The film is an afterthought. The main thinking is happening. The main research is like, okay, we think of barbecue or sushi. And, uh, and I love that. You know, that to me, you know, sometimes a dir the director can set the mood of a room, you know, if they're a cranky or if they're morose or whatever. So I like to be like, yeah, we're going to have a great lunch. And like everybody gets into it and, just have fun. So I just have fun with these guys and, you know, I, I never want to do a film without him. I, and, you know, working with Ben, you know, he just fit right in with us because he's so easygoing. He's, um, he just want, he, he, uh, he's having fun what he's doing with what he's doing as well. Mm -hmm. And so he fits in with our ethos. So yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I just, I love the whole process of, uh, you know, it's a shame that I have to write a movie and then shoot it to get to sit in that room with these guys. <laughs> Maybe I could just come in and do the sound mixing portion of a movie with you guys for other people's movies. Like the director steps out, I come in, I sit with you guys, and we mix. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm working on something now, and the sound mix is informing my writing, you know, so... You know, it's uh, it's 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 just it's just a great process. That's awesome. Well, also Benjamin, uh, congratulations on your this short list version of being acknowledged. With, with I'm excited to see how that uh, you know evolves, and obviously people are taking notice of the work you did. And I hope more people have a chance to check out this film. Obviously, you guys. It, so the film came out right before quarantine. Is that right? About yeah. a month before. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was a month before. the last major release of ever maybe mm -hmm. incredible yeah yeah so obviously like it's out now you can get the home you know release or streaming and you know i watch it at home and you know even the stereo mix is still terrifying i feel like you guys you know yes obviously the atmos setup would be fantastic but um yeah congratulations you guys really excited i'm so happy to chat with you and to remind people to go check out this film because sometimes great films get lost just when you know we have a world pandemic going on and it gets swept away so yeah thank you guys so much thanks thank Mike. you thank you thank you guys so much for watching if you enjoyed today's discussion please feel free to subscribe to our audio podcast and youtube channel where you can find out about more upcoming topics and shows and projects that we'll be covering throughout the year and if you like audio and you like podcasts then i think you should check out the audio podcast alliance the goal behind the Audio Podcast Alliance is to help bring more great sound stories out into the community. So definitely check out some of these shows, subscribe, and you can find out more information about some of the great stories being created about sound. Mm -hmm.